everybody. You've got to pose in the matrix here. It is a Monday, as it usually is when we're on the air. Uh, 12-16 of 2019, the 16th of December. You have nine more days till Christmas. Everybody, collective sigh. <laughs> okay. Um, so, anyway, we uh, this is Dave here. Uh, we've got Jim and Eric. Hello, guys. Hello. How are you? Hello. All right. Good. We're all here. All present and accounted for, sir. Uh, so, we were talking tonight, and uh, I, I ran something by Eric and, and, and uh, Jim real quick, and uh, we... Uh, I read something online to, this week that kind of got me excited, and uh, and it kind of makes me know now why maybe Mr. Trump wants to have a trial in the Senate. Um, now this is—I don't know if this is true. Maybe one of you know, and if you are, if you do know, and you know where this is located at, where we can find it, this would be wonderful. But uh, way back in the 1970s, we had something called the Watergate scandal. Uh, Eric, you were too young for that. I know, Jim, you, you and I remember that pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, didn't understand it too much because that was, you know, I was only like 13 years old, but <clears throat> knew enough to know that uh, they were accusing the president of something uh, pretty egregious <clears throat> that by today's standards is kind of light because had they held up to the same standards as they did back in the 1970s, <clears throat> um, several presidents would have been impeached uh, way before Mr. Trump. But anyway. I digress. Um, so this person posted that back in the 1970s, while the investigation was going on, when they voted to have uh, to send it to, to the Senate for a trial uh, just before Nixon quit, um, rumor has it that uh, the Republicans had them put into effect, uh, I wouldn't even say it was a law, um, maybe a, uh, what would you call that? Um uh, an act or something, maybe that um, uh, they were they were pretty sure that uh, if Nixon went to trial, that he would have he would have gotten off. Okay, and um, so what they did is they put in there the Republicans did a little clause that that the president got off since he had a fight for his presidency for three years and was not a, able to be an effective president because he was fighting for his presidency. That those three years would be tacked on. To his presidency, and in effect, he would have uh, what a seven-year presidency, I guess. Yeah, and uh, also that he would be able to run for president again. In other words, it wouldn't infringe on his; uh, it wouldn't count as his second term. So uh, now, this what happened was Nixon. Um, <laughs> I keep wanting to say abdicated. Nixon resigned. And uh, and none of this needed to be dealt with. And he was pardoned by Gerald Ford, I think, a year or two later. And uh, and that's all ancient history uh, to you folks that never saw it or even to a lot of us that uh, lived through it. And it was so long ago. But anyway, um, so in effect, uh, what could happen is if – see, I always wondered, guys, why, why Trump's demanding a trial. And you, uh, the way it works, I do believe, is that the chief, chief, excuse me, the chief justice of the Supreme Court presides over the um, over the trial, and uh, and then the senators are basically the lawyers or the pros, you know, when some of them are the prosecution, some of them are the defense. 
Um, and then the way it looks now, there's at least two extra senators, uh, meaning that there's two Democrats that have decided that uh, actually this that's in the House. Uh, they're going to vote no on it. But um, but uh, there are some senators, I think, that are Democrats in the in the uh, Senate that would vote uh, in favor of Mr. Trump because it's an election year. Twenty twenty is and these guys want to keep their jobs. They want to keep working. Well, anyway, so I think he's pushing for a trial so that when he is found innocent and he will be. Um, they will enact this act that uh, was put into effect and, and never taken off the books. Um, it would have been it would have been used up and taken off the books had had Nixon decided to fight and won or lost either either way, but it still exists. And so uh, maybe the reason why he wants to go to trial is he'll get that extra three years, so he'll have basically a seven year term, and then can run again for another four years. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, I was telling you guys this, and you were laughing. I'm like, for, at first I was thought you were laughing because you didn't believe it, and then I was like, no, they're laughing because wouldn't that be poetic justice? <laughs> well, it, w- it would. Well, you know, part part of the reason I was laughing was because you know you, there's not that many years apart between you and I. What, like eight years or something? I think. I think so. Yeah. And uh, about eight, so it doesn't seem like much now. But back then, do you realize when that happened, um, you were 13. I was already a uh, Vietnam-era veteran going to college on my military um, benefits mm-hmm. at a time when, you know, being uh, being ex-military when the hippie movement is still alive and active and on every campus didn't make me the most popular guy on campus. So so here I am in that year that, that this impeachment thing was going on, I was already a veteran. I was a... Um, Almost near completion, a graduate at college, married. Uh, so I, you know, saw pretty much everything from a total adult perspective because, you know, I'd already been through, you know, all of it and being very unpopular for my background. It was not, um, didn't make you the, the popular guy on campus when you're still in college, when you're uh, a Vietnam era veteran and um, ex military. Um, and a conservative. So, I mean, I was just like everything opposite of uh, what was popular and trending, you know, at the time. And uh, so I was partly laughing because, you know, I'm, I'm seeing this, remembering it back as an adult and, and you know, being, you know, guiding, you know, during the, the Vietnam era. I mean, you know, here I am being spat at uh, in the airport and called a baby killer. Um, you know, just all, all the crazy stupidity that you don't see ever happening nowadays. Um, you know, back then it was very unpopular. And I love Nixon all the right. way through the administration, through everything. You know, he was he was not a crook, as he said. Mm-hmm. Um, I think actually he it was a pretty classy thing that he did stepping down so that he avoided, you know, all this crap um, and unnecessary stuff. But uh are you saying he was innocent? No. Okay. Oh, I didn't say he was innocent. I, you know, I can't. I can't remember. Did Nixon have one term or two terms? He 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 did a full term, and then during his second term is when they, this, this all happened. Okay. Term. Okay. So, Thanks for the history lesson. He because the liberals were already infiltrated in causing some of the most tremendously stupid things to happen in the Vietnam War, and they did. I, I mean, to me, this is why 
I, you won't see me having such a great fondness for the remembering the hippie movement and the, the hippie days and everything back in those days. Those people were traitors back then, and they're still traitors today. Most of them have never got out of that mentality. They helped get a lot of guys killed in Vietnam because they made us fight a war with one hand tied behind our back. They had every libtard, stupid uh, process and procedure. Um, Hanoi Jane, I don't think I'd ever, you know, forget about her being Hanoi Jane. No, me either. She was a traitor. She was a liar. She was a deceiver. And uh, until she has a full repentance and owns up and admits to what she did, which she has not done, there's no way I could ever, you know, be full of grace. I'll say all is forgiven. And, you know, now if she confessed Christ and, and uh, that would be a different thing. But if she did, then she would also be truly repentant and truly um, open to admit her treasonous actions. But it hasn't happened. And um, I'm not very fond of, of all the hippies in the hippie days because, they helped get a lot of our guys killed. They helped disable our country from being able to fight. Well, the same kind of stupidity that they're doing today is the same kind of stupidity they were doing back then. I think you have to be some kind of, a, I don't know, totally viewing history from a different angle. I mean, it was it was um, Winston Churchill that said that those that fail to understand history are doomed to repeat it. And they're we're always repeating it thanks to them because they don't seem to understand, you know, you learn from history or you should, if you even have a grasp on history, because they have an alternate universe version of history that isn't even real. Yeah, um, true. True. And it's not changed. None of this has changed. Uh, you know, oh, now everybody, you know, thank you for your service. But I think with many of them, it's just totally disingenuine. They're just going with the flow, with the you know the major blowing of the wind. Um, it's funny how sometimes Trump will will literally repeat and parrot what uh, Clinton or what Obama has said in regards to some foreign policies, but they ignore the fact that that he's just joining in on what they had once said and once had as a policy, and now because it's Trump, it's all wrong. It's always wrong. It's always been wrong. And they so they deny past history where their own Democratic Party and their own uh, winners as, as president had once agreed with the same thing that Trump is trying to impose or trying to do now. Mm -hmm. So It's just so hypocritical. It's just amazingly stupid. Yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree. And, and you know, <laughs> I've seen it so much, not even just in this, but usually, and I've had this done to me before too, you know, by people that have tried to set you up and stuff. And, um, usually whatever they're trying to accuse you of is what they've been doing themselves. And so that causes me to immediately go into uh, a mode where I start looking at their lives and what they're doing. And yes, I do find that many times they they are doing what they're accusing me of. And, and, and you know, that makes a lot of sense because, um, like, if I were to accuse you of something I knew nothing about, it would be kind of hard to do because, you know, I would trip up somewhere. But if, if, if I was trying to accuse somebody of something they didn't, of something that I myself was doing, I would know all the ins and outs, all the roads, you know, that I would take if I got caught. 
So I would know to cover all those things so that if they tried to do that, I would have an answer for it, you know. And the sad part is that the Democrats, well, let's just call them what they are, leftists. Um, they're not even smart enough to do that, you know. Like, they're, take the, um, the thing in Ukraine, for instance. You got uh, Joe Harry Lake Biden um, saying that, you know, his... Uh, that he withheld money from the uh, Ukrainians if they wouldn't, unless they did something that he favored. And what are they accusing Trump of? The same thing, you know. And uh, you know, it's always they say the squeaky wheel gets the grease. But if you have two squeaky wheels and you want something to get done, you better make sure that your wheel is squeaking more than the other one, you know. And if, if Trump has any fault, he's not doing that. He's I, I don't see him doing it anyway. Um, uh, you know, yelling out louder. Maybe he is, and the press just isn't covering it. Maybe that's what it is. But um, you know, I would be, I would be going every route I possibly could to to try to say no, I'm not doing this, but they are. And I think that that'll come out in the long run. Um, it certainly has been the buzz on uh, all the media that it is not mainstream media. <laughs> you know, it's. Everybody's talking about Biden more than they're talking about uh, Trump. But, uh, you know, it's the old adage, you know, watch out when you're pointing because you're pointing one finger away from you, but there's three there's three pointing right back at you. Yep. You know, and uh, for some reason, accusers like this always forget that that's the case. And uh, I'm, I'm just hoping that once this is over with, and I don't think it's going to take very long for the Senate to say, no, we're not even going to hear this. Um, but I, I certainly do hope that, uh, well, it would be kind of nice if they would, you know, and then they'd still find him innocent, of course, but, um, it, it would be nice if that, if that act does exist and boy, if you can find it online, Eric, I, you're a better man than me. I can't find it anywhere. I don't know the right words to type in or what, but, uh, I'll have to do some research on that, hunt that, hunt that down. Yeah, because I think that's very, very important and will be in the days to come, so to speak. But um, um, So anyway, uh, I just wanted to throw that out and see what you guys think. Now, Eric, you know, have you been looking at Q at all this week? Uh, yes. A um, couple things. Um, on the 15th... Uh, Q posted that Gitmo operations are standing by. So, good. We're, if you're familiar with uh, Guantanamo Bay. Oh yeah. Uh, they actually expanded it out, I guess, and um, I, they've actually, I think, they got three other um, prisons as well, other than Gitmo, but that's the main one. Mm -hmm. um, Edward Snowden coming coming back in 2020. That'll be his homecoming. Right. So you can see kind of what's going on. Q um, also posted that uh, Obama directed the coup against the President Trump. Right. Q uh, basically states, never forget who directed it. Uh -huh. And uh, Bill Barr, who's the uh, Attorney General, is looking into unbelievable, unusual activity during the Obama's final months in office. So, huh. Um, well, I know what that could be. Well, this is 
basically what I've been saying is is that Obama ran the entire coup uh, to spy on the Trump campaign during his final months, and then that turned into basically the coup itself that they've been trying to get him out of office ever since, and he's been running it behind the scenes. So this is the whole thing I've been saying is this evidence is all going to go back to him. Right. So he's going to end up he's going to end up getting arrested. This is going to happen. Oh, and one other thing. Hillary, I thought this was a joke a couple months ago, but I am almost certain that Joe Biden is not going to make it and none of the other Democratic candidates are going to make it. Yeah. And Hillary is going to run again. Huh. (laughs) Because she has no choice because she's going to get indicted otherwise. So this is her, her last shot. But I can't say that with 100% certainty, but she's come out and, just, and basically stated about potentially running again. Huh. What you think is just insane, right? Yeah, well, I wonder if but this it, is the real Hillary or the body double or what. Well, you know? yeah. that's, that's <laughs> the other thing, because someone was posting a picture of her. Either she's had some, you know, face work done, uh-huh. or it is, the, it is another double of some kind. Yeah. I don't know. Um, and this probably gets into the whole, you know, not to you know, get off subject, but um, I've seen this with Hollywood celebrities where they have talked about that the elites already have cloning stations. Right. Yeah. And they'll clone multiple people like Hollywood actors mm-hmm. and sometimes use them um, in multiple venues anywhere in the world. Or they'll, if one, you know, they'll, they'll, you have a Hollywood actor that gets, you know, really good, but he becomes insubordinate to the agenda. What they'll do is they'll kill them off and clone him and then use the clone as the replacement to the person. Sounds insane to some people, but it, so when you talk about Hillary and people that don't, you know, a person that looks like her, but doesn't quite look like her. I wouldn't be surprised if that, in fact, is the case. So, yeah. but I can't say that with a hundred percent certainty. But it's something that the audience should be aware of. Well, I know that back when um, she had her little fainting spell or whatever it was, and they brought her to her daughter's house, and I remember that. Remember, and then she she came out not long afterwards and looked like a completely different person. It wasn't her. Yeah. Now it's very very possible that was just a stunt double. Uh-huh. Which, you know, you can you can have a stunt double, you know, or someone that looks like you. It's not out of the realm of possibility. So it could be that as well. Mm-hmm. But they were saying they were saying different points of her body. Her hips were bigger. Um yep. the one that was replacing her hips were bigger. She was uh had longer legs. I mean, you know, you, yeah. you just don't have that much change. No. You know, that that obviously was not the same person, you know, that no. so but the fact is that more that's coming out on the elite, and when I say the elite, I don't, I mean left or right wing, it doesn't matter. The more that's come out, they have an advantage as being part of the global elite that others don't have. They have access to all the knowledge that you and I would understand as uh, the secrets of gathering amongst men. And, uh-huh. you know, that Gavinok mentions, well, these secrets of heaven. Part of that is the idea of cloning. Part of it is the idea of uh, space and time and dimensional travel. 
things that we already had that has been around for decades that the elite had been a part of working with the God of this world, knowing that they're working with the little G God of this world. Mm-hmm. They're not bound by time anymore. They're not bound by death as we know it anymore. Right. right. They're playing with this stuff like little kids with a game. They're already many of them unredeemable because they've already bought into the mark. Mm-hmm. You know, they have right. it. They're no they're fully human. Mm-hmm. And so they have access to all of this stuff. And so, you know, the thing, um, that sometimes disappears. So, Eric, you may not find it because they may have deliberately wiped it completely off of the internet as if it never existed. Well, that, that is that is going on with information. I, I've noticed particularly not just the thing that you mentioned, but just other things in general. Um, I don't know if you're aware. YouTube had just has just implemented its new um, censoring, basically, is what it is on on YouTube. Where basically you cannot even, how do they put it? Like if you criticize an another politician or someone of status, they can basically flag your channel and shut it down. So what they're trying to do is shut down all the independent um, YouTube channels, so that all that's on YouTube is all the commercial, you know. Basically, the, the, the companies that the, the elite control. So they're right. they're basically pur- they're purging everybody else out. So right. Uh, but how I purged out of mine. Yep. Because I would not even monetize any of my videos. They were always asking me, especially the popular ones, and I wouldn't do it. No, right. I wouldn't either. It to me it cheapens what I'm trying to do. I don't want you know to sell advertisements. I don't want to make monetary profit on something that God has given me. I'm giving it back freely. I, I want it. That's the kingdom way. And that's the way I wanted to stay. And doing that, that's probably one of the reasons why I went first. And, and because I'm not playing in the game that they're trying to conform everybody to. So naturally I would be one of the first to get gone. But, you know, uh, 10 years ago, um, one of the first times that we had, um, Jonathan Gray on, um, Dave, you remember that he had mentioned, and we were talking about that triceratops with a bullet hole in it. And I wanted to go back to get more information on it. It's gone. It reminded me of the scene when um, Doc Brown is saying, erased from history. They literally have removed everything and anything about the tea, about the um, triceratops to the point where I didn't even question, did I really ever see it? When it you know, it's like, I can't find anything, not even a mention about it. Nothing. It's gone, erased completely as if it never existed. Um, I, I brought it up on some of the safe search engines, uh, Duck and Duck Go. Um, nothing, nothing at all. Matter of fact, it doesn't lead to any kind of connection from any former rumor or this used to be this way, but now it's nothing as if it never even existed. Right. Right. Well, support. Poor Triceratops is gone. So I got him in my museum. I got a hunter that's shooting them, and, and I'm explaining that some things were made to go away and and never come back again, no matter how well-known they were or popular they were. Um, they can do it now. They've got total access to make everything go away if they want it to go away. Yeah, that's true. So, you know, and if you do have... It, but the thing is, the practical thing is the elite are the elite, and they're going to enjoy and have fun. And so if there is a big game hunter and you have access to time, 
you're darn right you're going to go back and go shoot dinosaurs. That's like the ultimate, you know, that would trophy. be the ultimate yeah. trophy. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I'm sure they're doing it and making it, uh, taking advantage of it and everything. But uh, so I've got some of the most popular cases that um, Jonathan Gray had uh, shared with us, you know, when we've had him on in the past. Um, mm-hmm. But I do cover every possible, you know, thing like Mount St. Helens proves we don't even understand fossilization. It can happen in 10 years, not 100 million years about the soft uh, bone marrow tissue that's found in uh, fossilized T-Rex. You know, they got one, they, they went ahead and cut it open and they found soft bone marrow tissue in the center of a fossil. Uh-huh. Now, that means two things. It means that, that there's no way that soft tissue has survived millions of years. So that dating is completely wrong, which we already know is not accurate anyway. Um, and the other thing is, they've got soft tissue in bone marrow, that means they've got 100% DNA mapped for a T-Rex. You think they haven't already cloned them things? Oh, <laughs> sure. I mean, you know, if CERN says, well, why are you doing this? Because we can. You know, doggone well, any scientist, that's exactly what they're going to do. Because we can, we're going to do it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Jurassic Park is no sci-fi and science fiction. It could be a documentary. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Probably is. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's funny because I, I'm looking for it because I know I share things like that on Facebook, you know, because those things I think are very important. And oh. it, it is not there. It's totally disappeared like it never existed. And that's why you may not find any evidence of it at all because they're doing more and more of that. I wish I was at work and I couldn't copy it. I really wish I could <laughs> Well, there's so many things now, you know, I, I look back and I wished I would have kept a hard copy of all these things. And even then, there's with all of this, you know, join cloud, join cloud, have your stuff backed up, you know. And so everybody's backing up something that somebody else actually now owns on all your critical information. You don't even have a hard copy of it because you got it on cloud. Uh-huh. Well, somebody owns cloud. Who owns cloud? Oh, they're connected to Google. <laughs> well, talk yeah. about your secrets to the beast. I mean, come on. Oh. Yeah, as a person that works with technology, I'm not a real big fan of uh, cloud. Not a big, uh, big fan of Google or Amazon in their practices. So, you know what's funny about Amazon, though? Have you heard what their stances and policies on different things? They haven't come right out and said it, but they are fully conservative. Well, that's weird because uh, Trump uh, crushed them. Um, uh, when it came to so the Department of Defense was basically uh, looking at uh, Microsoft, Amazon, IBM, and Oracle for cloud uh, for Department of Defense, and uh, Trump crushed Amazon into the ground to make sure that they didn't get that deal. Microsoft ended up getting it, but um, so. But I know he, Jeff Bezos doesn't like Trump and, and um, you know, Bezos owns uh, the Washington Post. And, it, and I know Trump was constantly complaining about um, the things that they would write in the Washington Post. So I don't know. It's interesting that you say that. But um, when it came to that big particular thing, uh, Trump would have none of it. So Well, I think that um, Amazon's playing in order to – 
and be competitive in the free market system, they're playing around with a lot of deadly enemies. IBM is not a friendly user to anything. They go back to Nazi Germany. Yeah. Um, they're treasonous monsters. Um, I'm sorry. They're not the good guys. They aren't. Never have been. Right. Um, so, yeah, you know, I mean, it's it's like trying to – it's like we're swimming in the Ganges River trying to find, you know, uh, purity and clarity of things. And it's just – I've never seen the Ganges River, but I've heard about it. And pretty much probably the most contaminated, polluted, disgusting river. I mean, you'd have to make sure you keep your mouth closed so you don't literally eat floating crap that's in the water. It's just so – Filthy. Right, right. I just shared a link with you, and I think that this may be satire. <laughs> um, and I'm going to read it to you. Yeah, uh, you know how underneath an article it'll it'll have a couple of um, links, and one of them uh, is the author Flag Eagleston, and the other one says Scotus Satire. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, here it says there's a little known precedence on the books that Democrats are trying to desperately have removed before the impeachment trial for President Trump begins. In 1974, as Nixon faced impeachment, the Republican Congress, if I'm not mistaken, or Congress was not Republican at that time, um, passed a law that would allow his turn to be extended if he was acquitted. The law was specific to Nixon, but was set to expire in five years, but Nixon resigned. The removal of the law, therefore, never happened. According to legal analyst and constitutional scholar Art Turbols, uh, the fact that the law exists at all sets a precedent. The law is very clear. The acquittal, which they were sure they would get until all the facts came to light, would have meant that Nixon's term was stolen from him and that three years or less could be added to his time in office which, without causing a constitutional crisis. Because of how Nixon ended his career and was pardoned, the law was never struck down or removed, meaning its precedence, and, and the, only the Supreme Court can take it away. Our sources say that there would be a 5-4 to four vote to allow the president to go on for another three years, making the next presidential election 2023, Trump would still be eligible to run. Uh, that may sound extreme and unconstitutional, but only SCOTUS can determine that, and they are solidly behind Trump no matter what his crimes, what crimes he's committed. Uh, the office is better with him in it than all that, uh, that they're supposed to care about. That's supposed to be a quote from somebody. Um, sorry to say, unless, you know, this is some kind of joke here, uh, it seems like it's maybe a satire. So. Well, it said that, you know, I, how would the Republicans change that uh, to put that in place? That Would that require passing in Congress to get that put in place, that provision for the additional three years? Well, what would looked- have to happen is I think if they – because they, they, they write all kinds of bills before they go into this. It's – this is, uh, you know, they're they're the legislative branch, so they can write bills and, and make laws. And, right. Um, so they could write that into the, um, you know, when you watch Law and Order and they they're they're constantly making deals and plea bargains yeah. and stuff like that. I could see that happening. So. Well, I, I just even up the Democrats did control both houses of Congress at that time during well, Nixon's landslide. 
I do know that during Nixon's administration, and one of the reasons why he did a lot of what he did was because they it was a Democratic-controlled Congress. Right. And the Congress kept um, causing the rules of war and engagement in Vietnam to get many of our guys killed because they were just pulling the same kind of stupid, you know, crap and not letting us fight a war like a war's run, but uh, dancing around all these political um Stupid, mindless political tricks is what I would call it. Um, you know, it was just putting us into more of harm's way because we weren't able to fight it right. on a fair, even uh, way. So Nixon circumvented or found ways to circumvent Congress. And he was pretty good. He was a smart guy. He was pretty good at knowing how to get things done that needed to be done and pretty much thumbed his nose at Congress. And I don't right. blame them. Uh huh. Because Congress at that time was acting treasonous. They sh- could have, should have been brought up for war crimes against America, giving uh-huh. aid to the enemy. That's right. Uh, yeah, the article's bogus because I'm looking up the makeup of the Congress in, uh, it was the, uh, 93rd Congress and yeah. 1973 and 74. And it said that the Democrats had 252 and the Republicans 178. Yeah, um, sounds about right. So, and even at the end of the Congress, it was 232 to 174. So um, anyway, so yeah, it's bogus, folks. Sorry to get your hopes up if you did. Um, but that's you know, it's okay. He's gonna a, he's gonna win a second term anyway. So yeah, that's true. I only slide. By a landslide. I think so too. Yeah, and like I said, uh, the con- the uh, Senate is controlled by the um, Republicans, and uh, the uh, Democrats would need a supermajority to get that um, the uh, the impeachment to stick. So it's not going to happen. And uh, but there's already there was what was it two Democratic. Uh, I think representatives said that they were two of them are, are switching parties. I know that because they're they're tired of uh, the Democratic Party. It's not what it was or was supposed to be anyway. You know, one thing that is making me pretty disgusted is uh, the way the way news is uh, presented now. So much of it is clickbait. Yeah. And I get I get all kinds of um, conservative news uh you know news things going on and i look up half of them anymore i almost ignore all of them i'm just so fed up with it they'll use well they they showed a picture of pelosi um and a few others and it says something about uh the house gems uh being brought up on possible charges uh you know and so you're thinking well house gem you know it's pelosi you know wow what what's going on here you click on, you go to the, the news article, and it's actually talking about a Democratic leader from 10 years ago, something had happened. Yep. Absolutely nothing to do. I mean, so it was just clickbait. They're making, you know, they're making money by getting so many clicks. And as long as we've got living in a system that runs on that kind of um, programs, 
we're getting it from the left and the right because everybody's making a profit off of it, except it's wasting our time clicking on articles that have absolutely nothing to do with what the, the title is going along with. They make you believe that. You go, now, now, you know, I'm looking at them going, now, why would they even do that? They, to me, you discredit yourself. You're going to have me chasing around good sounding articles. And I come to find out that there's nothing there. Why are you, why are you embarrassing yourself? Why are you, you know, doing this to faithful readers looking for truth. I mean, I've written some of them now. I won't even, I just ignore them. You know, they go to my spam folders, junk, junk, junk. Don't want to hear it. Don't want to hear it. Don't, I, I, you know, I'm tired of chasing around. And I'm, I'm not going to be someone's clickbait. My time is too valuable for that crap. Right. Right. So, you know, so I don't know. That's why I'm even thinking I'm, I've been getting my regularly weekly, um, epoch news and I'm loving it. That's that is so good. I'm I'm thinking, okay, sixteen ninety five. I really can't afford that a, a month on a fixed income. But you know what? I am really enjoying a weekly paper now that I can look at. It's telling me real truths that aren't building it. You know, they're they're not playing this clickbait game or anything. But it's conservative news. Right. It's the other side of the story that you don't think about good or bad. Yeah. Thinking, you know, I can somehow figure out a way to to keep that. I'm going to keep it because it's just I value it that much in my life. You know, Trump made an interesting statement. He said that, uh, well, I've always surmised that CNN and MSNBC will go out of business. But Trump actually made a statement on Fox News that Fox News will go out of business as well. Yeah, I saw that because they're becoming more and more liberal in order to appeal to people. Remember the thing that Jim was always talking about that, um, you know, there's – there's two sides of the same coin, uh-huh. uh, even though they they appear to be polarized right. against each other, but they work in tandem with each other. Mm-hmm. Well, unfortunately, um, you know, much like Alex Jones, um, pretty much all the the news organizations that exist, at least the big ones, are, are compromised. Right. And I hate to say this, even drudges. Q has made an indication of that. Yeah, I've noticed Because uh, all, all of a sudden, Drudge has shifted mm-hmm. to trying to, uh, you know, just against Trump. And and I know I know you guys don't like this, but what they mentioned um, was that the Mossad controls the the media sources in the United States, and that's part of the problem. So who said that? Well, uh, it was mentioned on it was mentioned on Q, but it could be it could be that that could be disinformation. I don't know, but that's been mentioned multiple t- times. Because I know so, that the Saudis have. Um, I know the Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia um, had a big stake in one of the stations. Um, sure. And I can't see him doing business with the Mossad. So. Well, yeah. Well, Mossad is is the intelligence agency in Israel. So mm-hmm. I guess the comment I'm making is it's, can it be that it's, it's, it's a very similar situation to what we have for our intelligence community right. with the CIA and the FBI. You have good people in there, but you got bad people in there as well. Right. So what the, one of the things that John F. Kennedy wanted to shatter the, the CIA into a million pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he made that comment. I think unfortunately even though it's it's in Israel and we're talking about an Israeli intelligence agency, there must be some type of co- corruption 
in tandem. Yeah. So you have extreme factions, you know, the, the um, um, you know, in, in Judaism, just as you have in any, you know, even in our country, we have extreme right, right wing factions. So, right. Um, you have, uh, and I can't think of the name of them now. Um, Dave, you might know it, but the, um, I always called them ultra orthodox, but they're ones that. Um, oh yeah, they'll beat you up on the streets and. Like the Hasidim or something. Or... Yeah, something. Uh, uh, now you're going to have an, an element of them that may exist in the Mossad. They're not representing the Mossad. They're representing their own agenda, utilizing the name of the Mossad. Doesn't make them all the whole thing corrupt or guilty, but it's just like you can have on the head of. Um, um, the Department of Defense. You can have a few generals that are replacement theology people. Yeah. Well, we have that. We have we have generals, some generals that are traitors because yeah. they've been they've been repla- Obama replaced some of the good ones with uh, with bad ones for his agenda. So. Right. He did. He fired a lot of good generals. Well, he yep. he fired he fired a lot of uh, people in missile silos that were um, you know trained, and he was saying that. They were slow moving and uh, hesitant in in their um, operations or whatever. And it's like, all right, now I know you're being just a dumb, ignorant idiot that that doesn't. I mean, maybe some people can buy this, but I was in missiles. I was trained. And the one thing that that has to be trained in being a first responder is to get over your emotions, get over your um, everything. You have a job to do, you do it. You do it so well. You've been thrilled to it. You do it in your, you could do it in your sleep mm-hmm. and you have to be that way. So you, cause you have to overrule um, your normal human reflex, um, I guess you might say. And so those guys are trained to function so well there's no way they're going to be hesitant or going through what what he was trying to state, especially now I was in the defense missiles. So I, our job basically where I was stationed, our job was to protect all of the nuke sites, the, the, our first responding nuclear Nike Hercules sites for the entire Eastern coast. Our missiles would make sure that when things went nuclear, our missiles didn't uh, necessarily attack the enemy directly we saved and ensured the safety of all of our missile silos so that when uh, and it kind of makes you wonder and now that i look back at it you know how 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 much was a 19 year old kid really thinking about uh, the ramifications of it so basically it is so if things are going to get nuked uh nuked then we want to make sure that all of our missiles that are going to blow up half the world because they're blowing us up um, we're protecting all of our nuclear capabilities to make a first strike by defending our nuke sites. Right. So that's what that's what my unit did. We defended the nuke sites to make sure that they would get a launch off before you know we were going down. Mm-hmm. So one time, and we would whenever we had what we called an operational readiness alert (ORE), they would let us know ahead of time when and where it was going to happen. But it was just to, to let us know, okay, this is just you know, keeping ourselves sharp, keeping the system going, we're going to have it. One time we went into full combat readiness and there was no ORE announcement. First time of my life, I'm sitting there knowing why I had to know my job as well as I did. Because my first thought was run. 
you're in ground zero. Get the heck out of here. Run. <laughs> then I realized, wait, I can't run far enough or fast enough away. If this is it, I got to believe that these things are capable of actually doing what they say they can do. And I better do my job and make sure I do it right so that we have another way to maybe live. So that's the only way I'm going to live anyway, because this is what I bought into. This is my job. This is what I have to do. So you overrule that fear, that trauma of, of potentially seeing a nuclear war and you're involved in it. Mm-hmm. Rule it and just do your job because you know how to, you know, that's what you got to do. And we are so well trained. I could do it in my sleep. So you just do what you need to do and you don't think about anything else. You can't think about anything else. You just do your job. Right. Well, thanks guys for, I mean, it's, it's a discipline that overrules your emotions and your natural human tendencies. And our military is pretty good at doing that. So when Obama's trying to say, Oh, I, I'm firing them because they're careless and lazy and, you know, let, no, 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 no. I'm not swallowing your garbage because that is what it is. It's garbage. We're so well trained, especially those guys. Those are the ones. I mean, I would say they're a notch up above, you know, whatever I did. They're the ones that have to really not think about what they're doing and just do their job. Yeah. You probably probably fired the ones that would would hesitate on or would not hesitate on pushing the button to nuke Iran or something like that. You know, you've got it exactly right. And that is why what he did. They are the ones. No, it even goes beyond that. They're the ones that would never fire upon their own people. Right. And I got to tell you that, you know, that, you know, we can't get into it tonight, but long story short, I was involved in a situation where I had to bust my roommate in order to myself not be a participant of being a traitor. Right. My roommate was going to be a traitor. And I turned him in. And it darn near got me killed because of it. But I don't regret it one bit. Right. There's a line that, you know, I might have been a goofed up kid um, on drugs, but I was still a patriotic American that is not going to let my country be betrayed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think those guys in the silos, the same thing. They would yeah. never fight their own people. Yeah. You know, it's interesting you brought that up because, and I think I've mentioned this online. If not, this will be your first time. Um, back when I was in nursing school, uh, there was a, a girl that was in there, and she was in, the I think, the Air National Guard. She would go up to Portland uh, periodically to, you know, to do her uh, her National Guard duty, and um, and I I asked her. I said, I'm gonna I'm gonna lay out a framework here for you, okay? I said, you know, back in the 70s, they conducted a poll of soldiers and asked them if they would fire on their own own people, and the vast majority, I think like 99%, said they never would. And then a few years later, they conducted the test again, and that number went down and a few years later again and it went down and it's constantly gone down. I said, you know, believe me, I said, I'm not going to like you any more or less, you know, whatever answer you give me. So, you know, I'm just going to throw this out there to you. If, if they called on you to fire on American citizens, would you do it? You know, and her, her, her answer kind of shocked me. She says, well, I suppose if they were breaking the law, I would, Hmm. And I said, yeah, that kind of scared me because we, we've we all read about Nazi Germany and how the laws changed. They, everything they did was totally legal all the way through. Yeah. And all they, all they got to do is say Christians are an enemy of the state. Yep. You know, Christians are traitors. Um, 
and therefore that, that makes us immediately makes us lawbreakers <laughs> um, and give me shot on sight, you know. Um, and I explained that to her, and you know, she ruminated on it. I know she never got back to me uh, on it again, but uh, um, I'm like, wow, you know, it's a lot has changed in the last 40 years, you know, and uh, it's kind of scary because. Especially now with, um, and millennials, don't get me wrong, there's a lot of good millennials out there, but a lot of, a lot of millennials tend to, um, like to take the easy way out. And when you're in the military, the easy way out is listening to your commander, because if you do that, um, I mean, that's the right thing to do anyway. Um, and that's why they, they always get 18 year olds in there, because 18 year olds, uh, like to have other, other people think for them. It's easier for them. Um, and they don't question authority. Whereas Jim, if you and I were in, you know, in the military right now, and they told us to do something like that, we tell them where to stick it. <laughs> but um, well, in a nice got, way, of course. We've got a flight. Well, we've got a flight. Um, living, you know, we're not 19 anymore. We've lived through a lot, and we've seen a lot, so we know a lot. Right. So we're gonna, you know, buy into the gullibility. But and unfortunately, an entire generation has been conditioned, um, just like in Germany. Germany. Before they, they didn't just jump into war. They conditioned an entire generation ahead of time to be ready. Uh huh. And so the second time around, they're doing the same thing. I would say Elon Musk is the Pied Piper and everybody's following through video games, through virtual reality, uh, crap. I mean, all this stuff and, and even the smartphone has set up this next generation to be, uh, the generation of the Antichrist, um, to not think for themselves. To not have a past history of uh, using logic or or, or uh, you know clear rational thinking to depend on someone else to determine for you what's right and what's wrong, um, you know, and we're seeing it. So it's just you know one was phase one in Nazi Germany, uh, physical conditioning, and then phase two is now the mental and uh, the spiritual and emotional conditioning. Uh, to do the same thing all over again, just mm-hmm. on a different level. So, you know, it's, it's so it's, well, you know, I mean, they have not, they have been given a twisted form of education and told this is how you, you know, this is the right thing to do and this is the wrong thing to do. The only balance we have in all this insanity is the word of God. Right. It's what, that's what can make the difference is, I have to always realize that I am an ambassador to Christ and the power of love is what I represent. And the fact that is in control has never been not in control and is always in control. So my balance comes from not only knowing God's word, but knowing him, his mind, his heart, his intent, what he expects from me. That way, some decisions become very easy under that perspective and under that lens. Mm When it comes against the kingdom of God, when it comes against his love, grace and mercy and provision, I'm not going to do it. Right. Right. When it when it does come against his, I don't care under what flag. I don't care under what political uh, spectrum. If it's against my Lord, I'm not going to do it. That's right. That's right. Yeah. You know, and another thing that, you know, if you look nowadays, you know, Hitler and Stalin and um, Lenin were very big on capturing the hearts of children. 
several several of them mentioned that if you if you one of them said give me a generation and I can take over the world. Um, another one said uh, you know that you, you get them when they're young and then you can you can mold their minds and and things like that. And basically, that's what's happened in our country. Um, but another thing that they do is they everything is for the children. Um, do it for the children. Oh, yeah. Those that are growing up, you know, coming after us. Well, yeah, we're supposed to be concerned about that, definitely, without a doubt. But when it takes precedence over everything else, I got a problem with that. Now, you got this little lunatic that's running around. Her name's Greta Thornburg, I think her name is. Oh, you the took the words Swedish, out of my mouth. The little Swedish uh, oh, uh, yeah. Hitler youth-ite, um, you know, <laughs> I running look around. At her. Oh. I look at her, and I, I think if that mindset becomes mainstream, oh, right, God. they are going to kill us. Yeah. 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 Because you can you can just see the venomous anger, um, in that individual, mm-hmm. totally brainwashed mm-hmm. beyond belief. It's but, just incredible. You know the, the and she's the, Time she's Time Magazine Person of the Year. Yeah, so I know, I know. But you Brainy. know you, you have you have um, you have adults that'll say, oh, it's so heartless for 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 the Muslims to strap bombs on their children or. Or to place the children in front of them when they're protesting, so that the Israeli troops can't shoot. And uh, you know, and it's always the children, the children, the children. Uh, but they they use them almost as human shields. No, but not even almost. They use them as human shields. And and what this Greta Thornburg is basically is a human shield for the adult liberals that are trying to or leftists, excuse me, that are that are trying to to take things over. Um, because if if you go after one of them, oh well, you you might be able to prove a point. But if you go after Greta Thornburg, you know, oh well, you're attacking a child. You know, well the child's got no business out being out there acting like an adult. So exactly. if the child's going to put herself out there acting like adult, then she's going to suffer the consequences of acting like adult, and she yep. opens herself up for that kind of criticism. Sorry, but that's the way the world works. Yep. Go ahead. You know, and, and there, again, the Bible gives us insight and wisdom on that. Train up a child in a way he shall go, and when he's old, he will not depart. <laughs> there it is right there. Yeah, act, act, absolutely. There it is. Yeah. And I see, when I think of her, I, see, I think of Absalom. I think it was Absalom. Or was it Ad, Adonijah that uh, rebelled against David? You know, the one who had his hair caught up in the tree and uh, broke his neck, I think it was. Um when he was in rebellion against King David. Yeah. You know, I just see that haughtiness that, that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm smarter than you are. You're, yeah, you're an adult and everything, but I'm smarter than you are. And I'm like, Oh, little girl. The, the only thing you, you missed not getting was, uh, placed across somebody's knees and having your rear end spanked. You know, it's, it's, um, it's a shame that little girl's ruined for the rest of her life. And, uh, well, they had a picture on online the other day. It was of her um, a- acting out in anger, and uh, she looked. They had a, a picture next to it with one of the Hitler Youth girls from the 1940s. Boy, did they look the same! Oh, I know. I seen that. I, that was like, oh my gosh! You know, and it's not a coincidence. Oh, it's not a coincidence. Yep. History repeats itself. Yeah, unfortunately, yeah. it does. If you I've, always, 
we're dealing with the same person too. Yep. <laughs> exactly. We don't know it yet. We just don't know it yet. But we're, we're right. You know, just uh, hey, it worked the first time. We'll, we'll do the same. You know, on this mm-hmm. same thing. Mm-hmm. By the way, you guys have got us hooked on Man in the High Castle. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, where are you at? What season? Uh, just starting. I think we're in episode two of season three. Oh, okay. So you're wow, you're quite a way up there then. Yeah, we're it's, cruising right along. Yeah, it's already turned into Twilight Zone. You see what I mean about the uh, the second and when it jumps to the third, it goes from um, from a what if program to Rod Serling Twilight Zone. Right. You know, right. With the multi-universe kind of thing. And it's, oh, my gosh. You know, and that's the the weird potential, though, that, that we are actually faced with is a multi-dimensional exploitation. I mean, it's one thing to to deal with an enemy that can, you know, transverse space and time. Then you get into the multiverse and multi-dimensional. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. There, there you got your Marvel... Uh, um, um, what is it, Marvel? Well, DC, uh, uh, DC, Christ, infinite, you know. infinite, uh, yeah, uh, worlds or dimensions or well, I forget what they call it. So multiverse, but multiverse, I mean, what you got? Now you know, for a long time, I never, I thought, oh, no way. But then the Lord started showing me through quantum physics how the multiverse is the only explanation for the ramifications of how far sin goes. It goes to almost to a point of eternity for alternate universes. And that's why the Lord said, I am able to subdue all things unto myself. He has made everything perfect in his time. So it's like, wow, that gives a whole new dimensional meaning to those scriptures. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, the Lord actually is alluding to the fact that well, that's the ramification of sin. It, it, it kind of goes through eternity um, with multiverses for everything you did or didn't do. And that's why, you have to conform to me. So the idea is that as you, as we conform our lives to uh, the will of God, a lot of these little universes implode. They're just gone, and that's right. part. That's part of the con- the power of the conformity uh, to Christ. But man, what a job! Whew. It just uh, only a God, thank God, our God, only God could allow things to go that far and still have complete control and order in it. So yeah. for me, it doesn't scare me. It just makes me all that more appreciative and assured of his power that he guarantees that if that is the worst case scenario that our minds could imagine, and it is real, how wonderful it is to know that our God is in complete control and had a plan from the beginning of the foundation of creation. That's one of the most powerful scriptures and it's only in, in context, it's only a few words. It says that for the Lamb of God was slain before the foundation of the world. Right. But everything's being said right there. Before the founding, before he created anything, he already had it figured out. Mm-hmm. Himself paid the price because he himself was the only one that could pay the price for right. a paradigm. That, I think, quantum physics, man, it brings everything from a kind of a religious view or perspective to a scientific view and perspective. Mm-hmm. And for me, that made sense. that made all the sense in the world to me. Then yeah. it wasn't just, uh, um, some etherical religious idea. This is real physics. This is structure. This is logic. This is rational um, things that have clear evidence. And my God is the one that created all that. 
So if he was the one to create it all, he knows about all of it. Nothing has slipped stuck by him. He's in control of it all. The more I think that we are can be assured that God is in control and is always in control, the more confidence we should have in our trust in him. Mm-hmm. Because <laughs> nothing slipped by. I, and I hate to say it, even the way we are taught, whether it be in at church or in a seminary, um, a Bible college, all of it, I unfortunately, too many times is taught on an intellectual level. The more we know about God, the more we know about um, what he does, the more we know about God's word. What about knowing him? That's the key to it. The key is relationship, not not knowing about him, but knowing him intimately. And yet that's what I think it fails to come across in a lot of the teachings and a lot of the understandings that we give. And it goes back down to a simple thing of, of not digging deeper into God's word to the original language. I mean, I don't know a lot of pastors that don't even know how to do that. Right. Right. And so intimidated by somebody that does. And then others that, especially in the Western uh, world who don't even know what partis is. So if you're not a investigator, you're missing the whole point of how a Hebrew writes the Bible in a four-layered version, why there can be so much coming out of one text of Scripture, because the mind that wrote it is writing it in a mind with a, with a knowledge of a language that is probably the most sophisticated language on this planet, and that's Hebrew. Uh-huh. And we're not even taught that in the West. So we don't even get the fullness of the richness. I've got a gal right now that is had made all kinds of promises that, you know, that uh, she was going to support my ministry and, and me and, and all these things. And, and I turned into a, a resident of Missouri. I'll see it. I'll believe it when I see it. And until then, you know, sounds good, but we'll see. Right. Uh, I come to find out that she's um, a follower or believer in Hebrew roots, but not the way that you and I understand it, uh, Dave, but in a way where, you know, the British, when they were, uh, they were kind of had their own vanity about how to culturally get the gospel out to people. And so they're going to the third world nations, Africa, Asia, um, and uh, Indo-European, some of the Indo-European nations, and they're expecting them to all change their cultural expressions and beliefs. And, worship and praise and embrace the gospel message British style. Right. Well, that's crazy. You know, Christ is in a part of their culture and can be expressed through them in a more meaningful way that they will appreciate. Doesn't make them less or worse. It means that they have the freedom to express their cultural mannerisms to the gospel message of Christ in a way that's more relatable to their society and their culture. God respects that. It shows yeah. much. Yeah, he does. But you know, the Catholic church is, is, is equally as guilty because what they did is they, they did a lot of melding and right. well, so what and they would do is they would, they would meld that culture with the occultism that came with that culture into Catholicism. That's yeah. That's the line you don't want to cross. That's, and that's the other side of the coin. Yeah. That is the other side of the coin, but the, if if you're doing it with the clear gospel message, the gospel message has no room for the cult pagan stuff. You address that for what it is, but you don't create an artificial 
paganism. Right. What I mean by that is we got to understand that Satan is the great deceiver and mocker. He likes to mock everything that God does. He will do and have his own counterparts. So we identify. And that's why I always say it's it's good to know the spirit of Antichrist. The spirit of Antichrist is that same but opposite pattern of mockery against the things of God. So it's Newspeak, 1984 Newspeak. Give a new definition to something old. Right. And and then you change all your terms culturally, it gets very confusing. So that's what's being done, uh, I think, in in certain amounts of quote-unquote Hebrew roots. Hebrew roots, when they get down to just a mannerism of expression, of cultural ways of of having holidays. So should we celebrate all of the Hebrew festivals? Well, I don't think you have to, but I think there's wisdom in knowing what those um, feasts and festivals are because God uses that as a a litmus paper, you might say, a marker. Everything he does is centered around the holidays, Jewish holidays, not not American holidays, not English holidays, not Indo-European holidays, Jewish holidays, mm-hmm. Hebrew, because that's, you know, where the origin of the writers of the, uh, of the Bible came from. And so we need to understand their perspective. So we don't go by a Gregorian calendar and expect that God's, you know, following that way. He's going to go by the Hebrew calendar, different right. dating systems, different everything. So there is a certain element that we need to understand about about that mm-hmm. but <clears throat> i guess with the one gal i mean she's it's so funny how she sent me a couple of articles which she wanted me to read to get a balance and i guess to see under where she's coming from and understand it it's like i'm getting ready to write her back finally i wanted to wait until i could find a a, a kind polite and, and graceful yet holding my grounds idea i think we need to learn partis here in america Every Bible institution, Bible college, we need to know Partis. You're going to only get half of the understanding if you don't understand Partis. So that is important so that we understand the depth of the Bible and how it's been written so we can appreciate and not be frightened by the idea of Partis. Like, oh, that's Kabbalah. No, no, the enemy has hijacked that and made a mockery out of it. But don't throw the out with the bathwater. Partis is very important. It's vital to understand the richness of how the Bible was written. And they, they do everything the opposite. We go left to right, they go right to left. So their whole way of thinking is completely opposite too. We need to incorporate that and understand that so that we can get better accuracy when we're dealing with the Old Testament especially. So that part of Hebrew roots is vital and important. What isn't so vital and important is do I practice, do I um, celebrate Hanukkah or do I celebrate Christmas? Well, I'm a Gentile. I celebrate Christmas. Now, I'm not, I, I have never taught my children to believe in Santa Claus. Matter of fact, I told them, don't believe it. Yeah, there was a guy named St. Nick and, you know, and he was good. And this is how the legend came from him, but he's just a human being. There's no guy in the North Pole, you know, sending you or anyone else anything. Um, you know, that's all make believe stuff. And it's a shame how that's done because when you get older, You'll be crushed when you find out there is no Santa Claus and then you can relate it to Jesus because you never saw him either. Everybody does that. That's part of the trick of the enemy. So I'm not going to get you to buy into it. There is no Santa Claus. Oh, by the way, kids, 
all the rest of the world and all your schoolmates do. Don't spoil it for them. They'll get it later on down the road. Don't, so don't ruin it for them. Let them believe what they want to believe. But you don't have to promote it. But you don't spoil it for them either because it'll just cause you a lot of guff at school and and uh, you don't need that either. So that's the way I handle it with my kids. They grew up never believing in the Easter Bunny or in, you know, any of this other stuff. Now, we had the celebrations culturally, but they knew in a proper perspective that none of that was real. Right. Um, so they could celebrate and not be, a, you know, looked at as strange or weird because or like a Jehovah's Witness or something that don't celebrate anything. Um, they could still have the fun of it, but they had the fun of it having it in balance. You know, originally the way, you know, uh, some of our cultural traditions in America were presented um, the reason the evergreen tree was used wasn't because they were, you know, pagans cutting down a tree and putting it in and worshiping the stupid thing like the pagans were doing. Um, it was explained and, you know, was, could that have been, you know, BS leading up to a bigger lie? Maybe, but at one time it was originally glorifying the Lord. The evergreen was used because it's evergreen so that it was always having life, even in death. So that that was part of the Christian theme, the Trinity symbol. Uh, was used by the first century, you know, especially the Knights Templar and the, um, which originally had a good start, but went haywire, um, with the Holy Roman Empire and its corruption. But, um, there was a, a symbol of either three triangles or, um, three, um, kind of, well, it symbolized the Trinity. Now it's used by the Illuminati. Illuminati this, Illuminati that. Well, you know what? Originally, before it was ever, you know, Adam Weishaupt's, um, it was a sign meaning Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So, again, Satan hijacks that symbol, turns it into something different. But its original meaning meant something different. I think a lot of our cultural things that we celebrate in Christmas has the same thing. It has some historically Christianized roots that are not pagan, but they've been taken and made pagan. And even have uh, the symbology that maybe predates as far as a, a pagan thing. So it's again, it's Satan imitating, but the bottom line is intent of heart. Um, and I think there's where we, the people, the Americans, even though our founding fathers, some of them were members of secret societies, occultists, and traitors right from the start, they gave us a lie and we believed it. And we believed as a nation that God was, you know, had a plan for this nation. Um, they stretched it to the point of, you know, manifest destiny, which is total crap, which is against the word of God. But if we don't read it and study it and know God's mind personally, then we're not going to know that we're being hoodwinked. And um, right. that's, how, that's how it always starts. You know, get your foot in the door and then, then corrupt everything to a bigger lie. So we can catch that right away if we do know the intent of heart. That's always been Jesus's thing was not the letter of the law, but intent of heart. And this is one thing we're lacking anymore. So now we're starting to strain at gnats and, and look at, you know, if you don't celebrate Hanukkah, you're a pagan. You know, you're um, just crossing lines that aren't there, not there by God, but there by man-made ideas and concepts. So, um but, you know, it goes the other way, too, Jim, because I've had Christians say, oh, you celebrate Hanukkah, so you're not a Christian. 
Right. Yeah. You know, yeah. It's, and it's, and you celebrate the feast, and the Bible doesn't tells us we don't have to do that. So you're following the law. No, I'm I'm just doing something that I believe that I should be doing. You know. Um, and well, and you're you know that's your background too. So um, again, well, you're a lot of Gentiles that do it too. So but anyway, I'm just well, yeah. saying that you know the, the the casting of stones goes on both sides. Well, it's been the balance. The balance is knowing Christ intimately. If you know Him intimately, exactly. you realize that that each one of us is a piece of clay that God is writing His law in our hearts, writing it. The law it didn't change. He's He's doing it, precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little, there a little. But we're all different. We're all like snowflakes in that sense. So God's going to deal and work with us different. What right. we need to have each other is grace and mercy to let God do needs to do in you or in him on his own accord and right. let the person be accountable to God and God only. Don't start calling them a wolf's in sheep clothing because they don't do everything exactly the way you do it and vice versa. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it, it goes both ways in the intent of heart and an intimate relationship with Jesus. Knowing about him is one thing. Then you're going to end up being pharisaical. I don't care which side of the fence you're on. You're going to end up being like a Pharisee if you're going to go by the letter of the law. If you are filled with God's love and grace and mercy and have a personal relationship with him, you know he's in control. You know that he's the sculptor for all of us. You have the grace and mercy toward fellow members as family members to respect one another, to love one another, because that's how the world's going to know God's love is how we love one another. We're not doing that very good. No, we're not uh, divide us on such trivial pursuits. Like, and to me, it's it's not trivial, but it is trivial on how we culturally um, express our worship toward God to our holidays. Let everybody do what they need to do. Don't try to be their conscience or their guide. Let God do his job and work in all of us individually as we're needed. Let them be accountable to them. You don't need to be pointing it out to everybody and anybody. Then you're causing division. You're not causing um, unity. And I think whole idea, this is another part of Greco-Roman um, stuff that has crept into a westernized church. Because let's face it, the first century Christians, the majority of them were from the uh, the Roman Empire and the Greece, Grecian Empire. So we adopted some of their cultural traits into Christianity, which doesn't belong there. Debating is one of them. Mm -hmm. Debate, hostile environment. It means somebody's going to be a winner and somebody's going to be a loser. That's not the way God taught it. Has you know had us to teach, uh, to sit down and and have dialogue. Certainly, you can have dialogue even. The Jewish way of, of um, sitting down and working out differences was through dialogue. It right. wasn't debate. debate was a Greco-Roman thing. And those people were pagans. Mm -hmm. We don't have that pagan element in here. We have the Holy Spirit. We have God's word. We let that be the final authority in everybody's life independently. Mm -hmm. And we don't do that. So we've embraced a certain amount of pagan culture into us. And here we are boasting that, you know, that we're not the pagans yeah you are you know you don't have to you don't have to make it's not a competition it's not a contest are you ready to rumble you know and you have oh he owned him man he had him right you know debating is not anything that a christian should be a part of and yet christian apologetics is based on that idea of debate right 
And Christian apologetics is what? Exposing the wolves in sheep's clothing. Mm-hmm. So in their effort to bring the kingdom and contend the faith, the scripture where Paul says to contend the faith, contend can mean uh, like a debate of situation, but it also has a deeper meaning in the Greek. And this is where sometimes things are just lost in translation. And it's a translation that we need to culturally understand who, you know, where is this derived from? In the English, we end up translating this is to make it more of a intellectual embracement and not a relational embracement. But that's not what the intent was. When it says to contend for the faith, it meant to bring the kingdom to that individual. Mm -hmm. Okay, so, well, yeah, I am. I'm quoting scripture and that's, you know, no. Put your money where your mouth is. If you're going to tell somebody that they need to be healed or they need to think right, the word there is telling you to bring the kingdom of heaven to them. You are to pray, heal, and deliver. PhD. Pray, heal, and deliver. You let God work through you at that moment. You want to lay hands on them. You want to pray for them to be delivered, to be healed, to be made whole again. How? Through the working of the miracles of the Holy Spirit. You bring the kingdom. You don't just talk about it. Bring it right now. Here. You're a believer. These are the signs that for them that follow him. These are the signs that follow. Mm-hmm. Speaking tongues. Well, that's kind of important. We can get into that someday, too. That's very important. Speaking new tongues. They will pray. They will lay hands on people and they'll be healed. They'll be delivered. Casting out of demons. So tell me, people, when you are... Um, Bringing the kingdom to these people, how many times are you seeing people get delivered? Are you seeing them being healed emotionally, spiritually, or uh, d- delivered from demons, or you know, getting some prophetic gifts through you to them? Mm-hmm. Mm, it's a big fat zero, I guess. Maybe you're not doing something right then, huh? Because that's yeah. what that's telling you about. It's to bring the kingdom through the power and might and working of the Holy Spirit, which only comes. Guess what, guys? By a relationship, mm-hmm. not a religion. It says, you know, uh, Paul is telling Timothy, study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed. You know, those two words there, uh, approved and ashamed. They lose a lot in the translation from the English uh, to English. Simple Simon. Matter of fact, here's the Hebrew is the most sophisticated English and probably the dumbest language on earth is probably English. It's just it's not very good language. Um, it's too simple in, in too, many, too many ways. Um, the word, you know, so this gives us the idea, oh, okay, well, study to show yourself approved of God. Okay, so, you know, God's going to prove us if we know his word. So let's make sure we know his word so that when we're asked a question, we'll come up with the answer and we won't have to be ashamed that look, we're looking stupid. Isn't that pretty much the way all of us take that? Mm-hmm. I mean, I know I did most of my life. Then I decided I better look, look up, look up the word ashamed, look up the word um, approved. approved. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. Approved means make yourself useful. Mm-hmm. I got to make myself useful to God. So it's got nothing to do with God's happy that I have an answer, I don't think. So what does that mean? Um, ashamed. Whoa, it means all of that just out of one word? Are you kidding me? (laughs) 
includes a lot of things. It doesn't mean ashamed, like, oh, you're going to look stupid because you don't have an answer. No. It's saying that to make yourself useful, you have the confidence in God so that when you speak, you will not be without hope. You will not be without a sure foundation. And you'll have the confidence to bring the kingdom of heaven to this exact moment for that person. You know that when you lay hands on them, they are going to be healed. You know that if you cast a name out in Jesus, they're going to be set free. You know that if you can discern and see what is right and what is wrong with this person, you get intimate, deep answers that they need. Because God is giving it to you because it's beyond your own perceptual abilities. That's what he talks about, the lifting up of snakes. It has nothing to do with snake handling. It has everything to do with understanding what you're seeing in this person because you're listening to them. So makes it, it's all about relationship, nothing about intellect. That's why my shirts that I'm making for my museum, I got on the front part, I've, the front part I've designed, uh, made it look like a MUFON, um, thing it says beyond science fiction museum and it's got the little logos with the little star trekky thing on there right and on the back (laughs) it's not what it's who you know jesus christ king king lord of lords he who has the son has life he was not the son has not life so this is showing one thing that's kind of interesting is stuff that you'll find out in the museum but what you really need to know is jesus christ your only hope so that's my little shirt. So, you know, it's kind of like, remember what I had, uh, you know, when I lived, had my store down in um, uh, Roswell. I had that, it's not what you know, it's who you know on the back. Because that was the main thrust of the whole purpose of everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I kind of, sorry, guys, I, I went on a little bunny trail here. But I think it's so important that in these last days, our efforts need to be on bringing people to Jesus Christ. This world's going to hell in a handbasket. We don't know exactly what's around the corner. And we were going to talk. We still got some time to talk about it. Are we going to, you know, are we going to see a a civil war? Are we going to see race riots? Are we going to see, um, you know, what are we going to see? I don't know either. I've seen images of a little bit of all of it. But I do know one thing. God's in control. And if I'm representing the kingdom of heaven first, and doing what's right because it's the right thing to do, not trying to work out, um, imagining, well, if I do this and this could happen, it, that's not my job. It's not my pay scale. I just do what's right. Let God worry about the rest. He's in control. Right. If I, if we just all do that, we're going to survive and we're going to thrive and we're going to bear much fruit. But if we're going to play these stupid cultural games that have been impressed upon us, man-made doctrines, we're going to sit there and argue over how we baptize Father and Son, Holy Ghost, or Jesus' name, or uh, do we full submersion or in jello or whatever the heck. That's trivial, man. It doesn't matter. What matters is, and one thing I, that bothers the heck out of me, there's people that are trying to inform the public and warn them of all these horrible things that are happening and why they're happening and how they're happening. What's the end result? When was the last time you prayed with somebody to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior? When was the last time that you nurtured somebody that you had led to the Lord and brought them into maturity? And now they're getting sent out and and doing the same. If your answer is never, maybe you're just informing people intellectually, but you're not bringing them to Christ. You're not doing the full thing. You bear your fruits with patience. Right. But start planting seeds, man. And I don't see anybody planting seeds, not seeds of gospel seeds 
gospel seeds means that you can say that within the last month you've prayed with one or two people at least. Mm -hmm. Active in ministry, I mean, you know, then then if your activity in ministry is not bringing people to Christ, then what are you doing? I see a lot of people out there blowing dandelions, basically, you know, uh, sowing weeds, basically, instead of seeds. Um, it's an it's unfortunate thing to see too, and you know it's uh, uh, you know I I posted an article on Facebook not too long ago, and one of the things that I really find shameful uh, within the church, and you know I might get called out on this, is that um, Marx once said that religion is the uh, the uh, opiate of people, mm-hmm. and it's. It, that's so untrue. I'm not even going to address it. But um, my my thing is now what I'm noticing is that sports is the opiate of the of the church. Oh wow! You and, just you well, just you, know, uh, you just hit me in the face because um, that's that is that is the God that has literally taken over our church. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what it is. It's like we're almost uh, reverting back to our or Hellenistic roots or something like that. Um, or something. Yeah. Yeah. So what happens now, and I'm sorry, Dave, I don't mean to no, interject no, too no, much, but if it. I could go just, I'll just, uh, please. So without saying too much uh, about where I go. Um, so our, in our church, uh, uh, sports, I'm not saying sports are, are bad. I think kids should play, uh, be active and what, whatnot, but here's the problem the system that's in place for competitive sports has gotten so competitive now that you have no choice but to to play on weekends, play on traveling teams, do all this stuff. But guess what happens? They're not in church. Right. They're not in Sunday school anymore. They don't participate. And the leadership allows it. Yeah. Why? Because... Most of the people that are the traveling or are, are, uh, the kids are, are the wealthy and they pay the coffers of the church. And again, this is back to the whole 501c3 system that's in place. Yeah. It's a cancer. It's a cancer to the church. Um, but yeah, that is, that is something. And I'm in a, I would say a relatively conservative church, but sports dominate everything. It, it is they so just, bizarre. Eric, it's almost like they wait for the service to be over so they can stand around afterwards talking about um, who the best NFL team is. Um, yep. You got guys in church that, that know all the stats of their favorite team, yet they can't tell you what John 3.16 says. Yeah. You know, you, yeah. you got you – got, it's, it's, it's almost like churches – well, I can't really say that for my church, but – I've been in churches like this, and it's almost like it's an Elks Club meeting. You know, yeah, you go in and sing a few songs, and most of them aren't about Jesus. They're just about God, and God can mean anything to anybody. Um, right. You know, and 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 they just, it's almost like they're itching. I've, I've even seen guys that had stereo or, you know, little headsets on, and they're listening to the game while the pastor's preaching. <laughs> Not in our church right now. Don't, don't get me wrong. I love our church right now. And I think that everybody's pretty right on and swear uh, with the Lord. But um, I've seen it. I've seen it. I've I've been around. I remember uh, back in the 1980s. I know it's going way far back. But uh, um, I lived down in the Bay Area. And, and uh, that year, the A's were going to play the Giants. It was the, the Bay Area series. 
that's the year they had the earthquake, too. I think it was 89. And uh, all the guys, it was incredible. It was like all their legs were twitching and everything else until the service was over. And then everybody got together to talk about who's the better team, the A's or the Giants. You know, and I'm like, and they tried to get me involved in it. And it's funny because I said, you know, for all I care, there could be an earthquake and and uh, both teams would lose, you know. And then there was an earthquake about three days later uh, during the first game of the World Series, which kind of really freaked me out. Um, but anyway, you know, that's how strongly I feel. And and even at work, guys, I got to tell you, it's I know that during football season, it's going to be like there's three people missing from work. Because unfortunately, we have TVs at work, and on on the guise of communing with the, the patients at work, a lot of these people will go in and watch these football games, sometimes for upwards of an hour or two, you know. So in effect, you've you know the pa- other patients are coming out going, well, I need help with this, I need help with that, and I purposefully send them into the room where the TV is and say, hey, there's three of our staff in there, go get one of them, right? You know. And it's getting to the point of ridiculousness. It's it's almost like it's a drug. Well, it is a drug. It's an opiate. Well, I teach uh, Sunday school, and I'll tell you this. I've done it multiple times. I am teaching this year, by the way. But um, mm-hmm. I will have the the kids, um, you know, maybe 10, 12 kids. But as soon as uh, basketball season starts with traveling teams, I, I lose um, at least half of them. Yeah, well, I believe it. For sure, and yeah. sometimes I get I'll get them back in you know uh, about March time when they're done or whatever. Um, right. But that's that's how it works. And you know what's even more interesting, just in the circle that I am in, is the conduct of the parents' behavior within these sporting events in a Christian environment is atrocious. Oh, yeah. It is. In fact, I just you know I I won't say which school I'm involved with. But we had the parents run off our football coach because the parents are so icky and nasty now. And this is in, in a Christian school. Uh-huh. So you can see the cancer that is that is spreading around this. Right. Um, I wonder what and, I, and I'm almost been attempted to do this to walk to my pastor and, and just say, hey, um, where are the kids? Look at our Sunday school program. It's dying. Uh-huh. When are you going to call the parents to the carpet, right, to address this? But you, I already know so. the an- I know what the answer will be. The answer will be nothing because these parents pay the coffer uh, of the of the 501c3 system. So it's never ever going to be rocked until that system is brought down in shambles, and it has to. I I don't I see agree. any way around it. And that's exactly what's in place. Mm-hmm. And I and I don't know. Go ahead. I was just saying, with my background, my my father was a football coach, baseball coach, little league, um, you know, mostly in little league. But so I've seen the good side of it, but I've also and I myself is a, am the only sport that I'm really um, passionate about is football. I've yeah, you know, I watch I watch the NFL. I'm not I'm but, not going to admit that, but I'm. Um, it it never it never dominates me enough to want to skip church or not um, participate in things for my for my children uh, per se. 
you know. Right. And so, you know, so you're looking at it, though, because you're looking at it through spiritual eyes and you're willing to. A lot of people are not willing to. With me, I've seen the good effects of it, um, me being pushed into sports when I wasn't really wanting to. But it allowed me to have confidence in areas and things that yeah. I didn't have confidence with. So it it can be a character building thing. Yeah. It has to be. But- there has to be a balance. And and that's where even as a, a pastor, minister uh, in church and still sports fan, you know, during the Lions football season, um, I was aware that this could get away, that it could be destructive, that it could be an opaque, that it, that it yeah. could off. So yeah. at times well, struggle even, but you, at least I knew and was willing to not have a conflict with the gospel that had to come first and there had to be a balance even in my conversations and and my love for football had to be restricted and limited or it could get crazy well here's what i think is actually upon us you're raising a generation of kids in church in general that the parent parents have clearly stated that it's not a priority by by what they're doing with you know the ability to want with sports and stuff like that uh, from the competitive nature part of it. So when these children grow up, what do you think they will do? They ain't going back because by then this, this sporting thing, because it's, it's amazing to me. Uh, parents almost breed their kids to be sporting champions now. Right. And that's how bad it's gotten. And it'll continue to, to get even worse because I I'm seeing kids that are getting ripped up legs, ligaments and knees and, and, and whatever that that used to never be the case. That's and they're basically saying the reason for that is their bodies simply cannot take the strain of the amount of games and everything that they are doing. Yeah. Uh, they just can't handle it. So then handle it. Uh, their bodies were never designed for it, but yet they push them further and further. So you're seeing all these sports injuries in younger and younger kids because they're playing just a, a billion games. I mean, they're gone every weekend, traveling to other other cities and stuff like that. So you know they're you know even church people they're they're just not there. Right. Right. You know my you know my pastor's too busy with the Me Too movement. You know, going after men. You know, see that's just the problem going on. It's Everything's backwards. Mm-hmm. We got to deal with our own problems within our own church, and that's just the whole yeah. uh, sporting God has taken place of God. But you know what? If I was too vocal with that, I'd be cast right out. They would yeah. just ignore me or would, tell yeah. me to leave, and shut my mouth. Yeah, and they would, and they would, uh, and they wouldn't care. So I'm uh, <laughs> definitely looking forward to this reset, Jim. Uh, Dave, yeah, because um, I know that um, through it, um, I already know my life is going to be affected personally, as well as many, many other people across you know the world and in this nation. And uh, I'm looking forward to it because it's it's the push that people really need uh, to go a di- different direction, probably to do church in a whole different light than we've done it. You know, everything is uh, dominated by, um, you know, ex- excessive budgets to keep 
extravagant buildings going with little few dollars that actually go to actually helping people that actually need it. Right. Right. I mean, I don't know if your church, but I go my church, you know, we have a, you know, a million dollar plus budget, which probably isn't, I don't know. It's probably nothing compared to, you know, a lot of mega churches, but it's all dominated by administration costs. So very little goes to uh, to ministry. Mm-hmm. So there's something wrong with the, you know, with the system. And Mark Taylor has echoed this, that it, the 501c3 church is a pagan system. Right. And it's in, and we're under a curse because of it mm-hmm. in the way that we're actually doing church in general. And he says at some point, you know, this is going some, there's going to be a trigger event that causes a lot of these churches buildings to close. Right. But church is going to actually be done in a different light. You're going to see more in the streets. Home churches are going to become big uh, on every you know corner. Right. And that's what you're eventually going to see. And I'm okay with that. That's the way it should be. Well, I don't know if you've ever noticed uh, or looked at it, but um, you know, you, you look at the, and it's not just a Catholic problem; it's a Protestant problem too. But all the pedophiles in the churches. And they never, ever, ever, you never really hear about it in the small churches. You know, it's always the big churches where these people can go and get lost in there and nobody yeah. ever suspects it, you yeah. know? Well, um, I've, I've, known, I've known of small ones where it's it's happened in small yeah. towns, mm-hmm. even in my neck of the woods, and the town would try to cover it up. Even the churches would try to cover it up. Yeah. And I'd never understood that. I, you know, why, why would you not stand in an accord and in unison against this uh, and the protection of the child because they were more concerned about the perception and how they would be seen right. than doing the right thing, the right. godly thing. Yeah. Right. And I've seen it. Mm-hmm. And I tell people that when I, when I hear about it and they just stare at me like mm-hmm. I'm from Mars. Right. Right. I've seen so I say it. to them, what's the point of all this? And if we're not going to do what's right. Exactly. I've seen it in, you know, a lot of people, oh, yeah, the Catholics and the priests. Well, no, I'm sorry. Oh, it's it's, it's everywhere. And, and you know, oh, yeah, well, you know, if you let priests get married, this will all stop. No, you'll just have pedophile parents, <laughs> uh, you know, right. a pedophile man that's married. But, um, you know, I, I've been in a Assembly of God church for one. I can remember um, where the guy, you know, and it's funny, you know, a lot of these churches like to exert control over, over everything. Everything's got to be under a pastor. You know, I'm surprised that they don't have pastors that sit over the bathrooms, you know. But, um, yeah, we had a singles program going to one of our churches one time. Oh, man, the thing was flourishing. No, no hanky panky. If anybody got out of line, we handled it. Um, it was going great. And then they decided, oh, well, you know, a pastor needs to be over this. So they put a pastor over it. And so, the, you know, we would go out to the coast all the time and, you know, and, and have little picnics and stuff out there and spend a day out the coast and come home. Uh, then all of a sudden we find out oh, one of the girls is crying. You know, now we're, we're adults, you know, we're, we're singles, but we're adults. Well, what are you crying about? Well, the pastor tried to pick up on me. I went on a walk and he tried to pick up on me, you know. So we bring it to the church body, you know, the pastor first and then the church body. Their solution, move the guy to another church, you know, yeah, uh, about 60 miles oh. away. 
you know, move them to another church. Oh, go, oh, yeah, great. You know, and <laughs> that, that's really good. You know, you, you, you'll slam the Catholics for doing that, but you do exactly the same dang thing, you know? Yep. And, 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 and it was frustrating, you know, because we were thriving. We were doing so good as a singles group. You know, there was a couple, you know, people would get together, then they'd fall in love and get married, and so they'd leave the group. And two more people would come in to replace it. We were in an Air Force community, basically, uh, next to an Air Force base. We always had new people coming in. They'd stay for a while. They'd get transferred. It was, it was, it was a wonderful, marvelous singles ministry that was just out of this world. And, but they figured that they had to put it under the dominion of somebody, you know, somebody that had a pastoral license. And, and all of a sudden it, it, it literally went to hell. <laughs> It did. It disbanded after that happened. You know, it, it became a defunct uh, entity. No more singles after that, you know. And, and when you're single and you counted on that for fellowship and it's gone, all of a sudden, you know, it's like, okay, well, what do I do now? You know, this well, was something they, that was really helping me, you know. Yeah, they don't want anything that will dis- disrupt the business model or disrupt revenue. Right. Right. Uh, and that definitely disrupted. Um, so, like I said, it's run like a business. It's like a corporation. Yeah. Um, that's the way a lot of them are. Uh, I got to be a little bit careful. Don't get me wrong. There's there's definitely, you know, churches that are, are definitely good out there. Oh, of but, course. But yeah. we, do, we definitely have a significant large percentage of churches that um, operate in this method. Uh-huh. Um and uh, yeah, I mean, that's particularly the mega church, it's just, it's it's the greatest business model ever. That's tax free. Yeah, business. It yeah. is. When you really think about it. it and is. I, you know, you always uh, hear about, you know, a lot of liberals complaining about churches just in general um, being tax free. And sometimes I, I, I almost inclined to agree with them to some degree, not necessarily for the reasons that they want them taxed. Um, but I just think that um, there needs to be profound change. Um, you know, it's not just it, the churches. Uh, Planned Parenthood is is uh, an organization that's that's a five hundred one c three. You know, you, you, all your cult churches, your your Mormons, yeah. and uh, we're all we're all unequally yoked with the same system, and yeah. that's part of why the churches are under the curse that they are. Mm-hmm. Um, Wicked, wicked churches are 501c3. Uh, Latter-day Saints are. Yeah. Jehovah's Witnesses churches are 501c3s. I, Boy, you take I, their money away, look what's going to happen. I noticed something, and I had a deacon say this to me. They they were talking about how certain charitable types of giving were down uh, last year because of some of the changes in the tax laws that you know Trump had implemented. Right. And I, I said, well... I looked at them and I said, "Well, why would that affect anything? They can still give give the money there. Uh, they don't get the tax write off." Uh, and I was trying to explain to them, you know, you have to look at the intent of heart. They were given the money because of the tax write off, not right. because they want to give it um, for the benefit of actually ministry. And I said, things are going to eventually change. And honestly, I don't know how they'll do it. I, I, I'd, I'd like to see. I, I'm guessing that the 501c3 will be completely disbanded, or to some degree, or changed to the point to where it'll drastically affect the ability of large churches to function. Um, right. Because you'll, the 
particularly the wealthy, their intent of heart was never ever to give with the idea of not receiving something. And once the tax incentive goes away, then they're not going to give. Right. Even though it's, it's still tax exempt for the church anyway, regardless, they just won't get the tax right off for them right. to benefit themselves. But see, that's where it's going to change everything. Uh, so revenue is going to dry up, and then these churches are going to close, especially the big ones. Well, that's you're reaping, you're reaping what you sow. Right. So the ones that are going to thrive and not change at all are the ones that we're giving out of a right, pure heart anyway. So they're going right. to reap all and, of a sudden. And there'll be churches like that. Don't, don't get me wrong. But uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. Those mega, mega systems that are in place, uh, yikes. Um, they're they're going to implode. All of the things that we've been talking about, whether it be the sports or whether it be, you know, man-made doctrines, um, you know, all of this needs to be shooken up like Peter wrote. So that everything that's not founded on the Lord is going to be shook up and revealed and shown for what it really is. That's what the reset's all about. So, I mean, even in our own lives, I mean, there's stuff that's clouded because of how we've been brought up in a culture-based uh, church. I mean, with our best intentions. You know, I like to think that, you know, we in our little group, you know, are a faithful remnant. But even us, there's a certain degree. All of us need to be open for uh, change, you know, during this reset and, and exposure to stuff that, that we ourselves have been, you know, innocent victims of. Uh, it's, it's, it's going to be an eye opener, but it's going to be something that's going to cause all of us to be more like Jesus to be more effective church, uh, to be what we're supposed to be doing. So, um, it's a good thing. Yeah. We were never, I, the more I'm beginning to understand this, we, we were never meant to be confined to four walls of a building. Right. Um, and that's what we, that's what we have. Um, right. currently. that's, what's kind of wrong about it. You know, it's, much of it is it's just more of just a not that you don't want to have a place to go to get equipped. I'm not saying that, but um, it's just more of a your continued cycle of the same thing. You know, you go into four walls, but you know, not much fruit is produced from it. Right. Right. I always compare it a lot of churches to it's no different than going to the Moose Club or the Elks Club or, yeah. or you know you name your flavor of club you yeah. know it's uh it's just a gathering of people that get together just to gather together and that's it you know um I I had a laugh because um one of the things that I really like to do at work is uh, is take some of the patients down to uh, the the Christian service. Uh, this week, I had the opportunity to take them to the Catholic and the Christian service and realize that there's really no difference aside from, you know, the transubstantiation and stuff like that in the Catholic service. But um, the songs are the same. The message was the same. Um, and as much as I do not really celebrate Christmas that much, um, I do like the carols. And I like the carols that pertain to the actual birth of Jesus and um, and things like that. I'm, I'm not a big fan. As a matter of fact, I hate uh, songs about Santa Claus, snowmen, reindeer, 
uh, Jingle Bells, White Christmas, all that stuff. You know, I, I could do without those things. And and uh, the week prior, we sang, oh, oh, it's great. We sang Oh, Holy Night, um, you know, Silent Night and things like that. And boy, what a nice time that was, you know. And then this week, I'm looking forward to more of that. And they're singing about the Christmas bells are ringing. And I'm like, what in the world does that have to do with the birth of Jesus? Uh, I'd like to maybe tell us maybe a small story. Go for I, it. Yeah. Uh, so, like, uh, the school that my uh, children are involved with, um, they have something called the Festival of, Van, uh, of Bands. So they have all these bands and uh, or actually it's choirs, festival of choirs, excuse me. All these choirs that get together from all across the state, public schools, private schools, Christian, whatever. And I tell you what, they were singing Christian songs uh, from our school at the festival, a band, uh, festival. And he said they were just shocked because here you had all these people here that are all from different schools, parents, you know, whatever, all kinds of backgrounds, just crying, tears coming down their uh, faces because they they stated, you know, this has all been taken from us. Right. Um, much of these kid, uh, people that are in public schools, you know, they took this all away from us. It's, you know, we never get to hear this stuff anymore with any type of Christmas music or anything that, you know, carols or anything that's Christian music in general. It's just, it's just been stripped from us. And there was just tears running down their face because they were just so happy uh-huh. to be able to go to an event like this and actually have a school willing to actually still sing these songs. You know, these are the songs that these people grew up with um, right. as a child. And it's right. over the time these schools they can't they can't have any Jesus or anything that talks about God in general, but it's just you can just see in the hearts of, of the people the ache of the yearning to have these things still back in place, which have, have has actually been taken away from them. So right, but it's right. cool. Yeah, it is yeah. cool. I mean. But you know, yeah. we we could get into the whole worship thing too because um, I go to you know our daughter goes to a church, we go to a church, other people go to churches. Sometimes you visit other churches, and and even well, sometimes you visit other churches. I'm going to leave it at that. But um, I've noticed a trend. Like Jim, when we were younger, all the songs were either we sang the Psalms or we sang about Jesus. You know, mm-hmm. oh, it's the blood of Jesus. It was the uh, dying on the cross. Jesus dying on the cross. It was, but now it's a, you very rarely. Maybe they'll sing one song about Jesus, and mostly the words in it are God. And um, another thing is that it's it's almost like they're singing what we're doing for God. I know that there's it's one song narcissistic. that. Yes, you're right. It's so narcissistic. It's yes. I'm sacrificing my song. I'm singing to you. Yeah. Uh, I'm making a sacrifice. What? Yeah. Exactly. You're singing all about you. Why don't you shut your pile? I want to hear what did Jesus do for us? Exactly. Let's ourselves of that. Let's enter into his courts with praise and thanksgiving. Not ourselves. Yeah. There's one song yeah. where all the court the chorus goes in all I do I honor you and I'm like only only God, only Jesus could say that because I know there's things that I do that don't honor him. <laughs> you know. Uh, so to be able to sing that on all that I do, I honor you, you know, that's, 
that's a lie. And I'm not going to sing the, a song to, to Jesus and lie to him. <laughs> I'm sorry. You know, I, uh, there was a song and, and it's, it's one that, you know, can be taken one way or the other, but it's a song for me had a special meaning. The first time I ever did a new age, um, fair festival. It was at uh, Metropolitan Times, which is kind of a con- very controversial newspaper anyway. They, it, they were having a psychic fair, 900 vendors there, and it's all, you know, just everything and anything. So uh, the way they started their opening thing, now what I had, I had I had um, a couple of different uh, tapes that were mostly just music tapes, but they were like soft, serene worship and praise music. Right. All blood atonement and just different things about Jesus. So, um, um, I was playing it soft in the background and I didn't know it, but they were going to have this moment of silence. So 900 people come to total silence and they ring this bell, ding, you know, and then, and then they did a ding and, my first thought was, oh, I got to turn my music down. The music was perfect timing. The Lord says, no, let it go. I'm getting back to the heart of worship, and it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm so, uh, how does it go? Sorry for what I've made it. I'm sorry, Lord, for the things I've made it, because it's all about you. Yeah. And then he says, okay, turn it off now. I mean, 900 people, totally deaf, silent in there, and they heard that echoing throughout the whole thing. Wow. And I, I left it on purpose, but I'm sorry, Lord, for what I have made it. And it's like, wow, Lord, this is powerful. So when they got back to their last oom, they forgot to go to oom. <laughs> <laughs> so I knew that it was making the effect that it needed to make. Needless to say, that was the last time I was, in, uh, you know, welcomed at that place. But that was only the beginning. It was the beginning of a pattern that was going to go through and cause a lot of wonderful things to happen. It's almost like I was thinking of the Joker. You know, I was thinking, get a, wait till you get a load of, you know, this is just the beginning. Wait till you get a load of this down the road. Yep. Yep. There was yep. A, a Babylon B thing that came out one year, and it just cracked me up because it said, Astronomers using the Hubble telescope have finally sighted the last verse of "You're a great, great father." <laughs> <laughs> I love the Babylon Bee. <laughs> <laughs> like a hundred five thousand light years away, or something. <laughs> oh, that's funny. That is funny. Uh, yeah, but you know a lot, and you got to understand, folks, that. Uh, there, there are some churches out there that turn out a lot of music, and it's, it's uh, one of them is Hillsong, and uh, they turn out a couple of good things, but a lot of it is, is repetitive, uh, drip drab, and, um, and it, it really is what I talked about earlier. You know, we're not talking about the blood of Jesus anymore. It's all, it's all what I did for you, Jesus. Um, you know, so you know, in other words, I did this for you, Lord. You owe me. <laughs> um, Basically, is what it is. Yeah, um, he doesn't. Uh, he doesn't owe a squat. <laughs> no, uh, uh-uh. nothing, nothing at all. Yeah. It, Listen, guys. Uh, 
It's time for the pumpkin. Uh oh, the great pumpkin. Uh-oh. All right. <laughs> okay. Well, we've had a good discussion tonight. Remember, we came into this not knowing what we were going to talk about. Man, we just made a really quick two hours out of it. That was amazing. Good deal. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, we're just going to have to dedicate a show to 501c3 someday and, and uh, really get into it and explain to people what it is. And, and I think uh, what we need to talk about is that, you know, we're anticipating. We know something big's got to happen. Got to yeah. happen very soon. So we don't know exactly what it is. Um, gosh, who, um, Eric, you were saying it, a lot of people are having dreams about uh, a rapture. Yeah, uh, a lot. If you go to YouTube and you like rapture, just rapture dreams. I mean, just the sheer amount just in the last couple months um, is off the is off the charts. Hmm. Um, I, you know, like I said personally, I, uh, I haven't had rapture uh, dreams per se. Uh, I've I've had other things happening to me personally, but um, I I know that it, it it's just, the timing is interesting. Uh, the timing of 2020. Uh, is interesting to me, um, and I just think uh, this reset um, is needed. Uh, a shaking is needed um, yeah. just to get this um, this end time uh, harvest um, going and completed. You know, it's it's like that last push uh, for the gospel. Um, it's just everything's a little bit stagnated. And uh, I think, you know, Trump is going to buy us some time to, to push the enemy back and hold them and throttle them um, while this gets done. Yep. Um, you know, but you're right. There's got to be a pretty major trigger event to get the ball, ball rolling. Mm-hmm. We need a giant spanking. That's well, all I, I that's, that's, that's the easiest way I could put it. We need yeah. a giant spanking. And that's the truth. Um, a God's, um, that's what my daughter would say. God smack. Yeah, Godsmack. I like that. I mean, we get Godsmack. Um, and, and the thing is, it's it's just as a show of love to get us all on the same page. We are not on the same page. We are we we become powerful when we're unified. We're not unified until we're made to be unified. That's why he calls us sheep. I mean, it's not because that's a you know that's a badge of honor. It's because we're stupid. We don't listen. We don't obey. We don't yield. We don't understand. We whine and cry and complain. Um. He's going to cause us to be still and, and listen and to know that he's God and he's going to direct our paths um, because we're, he's going to, all the paths are going to be wiped away. We're not going to have any ground to stand on all these other stupid gray shaded areas, whether it be uh, football or uh, man-made doctrine or, um, you know, whatever. All the things that we discussed tonight are the things that are diversion. They're diversionary tactics. They're diversions. They're, they're making us not see the real picture. So God's going to, He's going to clarify all of that for us. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I've had the dreams, but I've also seen I've seen rioting. I've seen it come down to race. I've seen it come down to a lot of other, you know, things that I don't know what's next. I know there's going to be kind of a, a civil war. And there's going to be riots in all the major cities. When does that happen and how does that fit in? Uh, and the other thing, I've seen major outpourings with the power and display of God's uh, might. Um, I've seen a time of peace and I've seen a time of uh, prosperity for Christians. So all these things are going to happen. I just don't know what order they're going to happen, when or how. But that's where trust faith in God. He's in control. He'll let us know when we need to know. 
and he'll equip and prepare us if we're willing to be directed by him by just simply being obedient. We do that, and tomorrow's going to take care of itself because God's already got it figured out, and he's got it all worked on. Very uh, true. I, I find that the people that are uncertain that think somehow this is some kind of an undetermined arm wrestling race going on between the powers of good and evil, they're filled with fear, they're filled with anxiety, they're filled with frustration, anger. Um, I don't have any of that. I just have a point. Yeah, it's almost like they put evil on a equal playing ground against good, against God. You know what I mean? Like you ever always hear the God versus Satan? You know, you always see that picture or whatever. Like you know, the they're arm wrestling one on each shoulder. Yeah. Well, it's just like no, no. I got uh, God. God has crushed this already. This is not even a equal battle between good and evil. Uh, evil is is weaker and is losing and has lost. Right. You know what I mean. Yeah, exactly. We're at the end of the book, and we know we win. There you go. Right. You know, so all these horrible, you know, Monsanto and, you know, uh, no weapon formed against me shall prosper. These are the things that, um, these are the promises I'm going to trust in him. This is a universal thing for all of us. I am fully persuaded in your death and their life, and the things to come, and the things to pass, and things, uh, principalities, powers, or anything can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. So, what do I got to worry about? <laughs> Those exactly. are my. Um, he's got it in control. So yeah, we can study the Illuminati and the, the Masons and all their, you know, the elite rich and all their plots and plans working with the enemy. But <laughs> we're studying losers. They lost. They just don't know it yet. And unfortunately, Christians, you've already won. Start realizing it. Don't worry. <laughs> well, I, I, you know, I know, and I got to be honest. Yeah, I was probably one of those. Christians at one point um, that was kind of just sad because of how badly you know we were losing in our country. Oh shit! Uh, and, I've been there. And, and, I, and I was guilty of it. I was guilty of it. You know, um, you know, just before you know tr Trump announced running for uh, the presidency, I was just kind of like, wow, this is getting this is getting dark. And uh, just it was just sad for my situation, sad for the country, and, and I know there's other Christians out there just sad, but at the same time we we can't be uh, because we know that you know evil loses, uh, Satan is going to lose. Um, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yep. definitely. So you just got to peek. Look at the end of the book. Look at Revelation yeah. 19. You know, we win, they lose. Yep. So, exactly. No. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. You know, so what's to worry about? Nothing. So relax, okay? Yep. <laughs> okay. All right. On that note, folks, we're going to go ahead and say goodnight to you. And um, guys, stay on just for a second after we close, okay? All um, right. All right. So, uh, folks, we'll see you again next week. And uh, we will be here next week, won't we, guys? Or are we taking it off for the Christmas week or what? Well, let's see. That's the 23rd? Yeah. I'm. I'm – I'm game for it if, um, if you are. Yeah, I can do it, I think. Yeah. Unless you don't. Let, uh, unless you want to take me, a break. Let me check the schedule because I'm, yeah, I'm, I may be out of town, but I don't know. All right, so. just confirm. So. Okay, that sounds good. You say, well, so we'll be on semi hold. I I don't, 23rd, I should be okay, but I'm, I hate to, I'm not sure. Yeah. I got several ministry, you know, dinner things coming up, and I didn't. I know the one's tomorrow, so that's going to be taken care of, but I'm not sure about the 23rd. Okay. All righty. Well, 
folks. Have a good week. If uh, we see you next Monday, we see you. If we don't, then we'll be around. <laughs> so, okay. Um, have a blessed week, folks. And uh, and always know that uh, we win in the end and uh, there's nothing to worry about. Uh, the stuff we're going through right now is just a transitory thing. And um, everything is in, in uh, God's hands. So. Yeah. Okay. Amen. Okay, guys. Yeah.